Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finished second. Ooh. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You know, my opinion is only one opinion in, in, in the world of GA. Then I, I thought I was entitled to give my opinion. Everyone else was giving their opinions. As usual, people get upset by it. People have an opinion and they're entitled to it. Where's the evidence that he would have fractured? Well, it's just my opinion, but like I said, there's no but evidence. Is there any evidence for it? People have different opinions and different stuff. That's no problem. That's the way life is. Everyone's the same. It'd be boring, you know? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Now you're welcome along. So it is Joe here and I have Mick and Arthur to my left. I have Ronan Mullen to my right. We are Team OTB chatting through some of the stories and talking points from the week. Uh, really, in many ways, this was a slot that came about during the absence of the football show and we said we would keep it going. We get plenty of texts in and people seem to not hate it, I suppose is the nicest thing to say about the <laughs> slot. 53106 is the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Do get involved. We are very much here. We are uh, live. We will uh, respond to anything you want to talk about. Big reaction to last week's chat about lots of you out there not feeling the same sense of love towards the Premier League. So... Just to mention, by the way, uh, we do have a roadshow that I've been uh, meaning to flag for the last hour or so. It's been a busy hour on the show this far. Uh, Off the Ball is going back to Vicar Street, which is always a brilliant venue in Dublin. It's in association with Cabri FC. It's August the 17th. We have Michael Owen. We have Ian Wright. We have Emma Byrne. We have Karen Carney. All our guests on the night. There should be lots of great stories. And then we'll look ahead to the uh, season coming up. Tickets will be on sale tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get those tickets so we'd love to see you at uh, Vicar Street I'll be there in the night as well less of a headline than Michael O'Neill right Emma Byrne Karen Carney but I will be there on the night Michael I feel I should uh, say I always remember uh, interviewing Michael O'Neill here in this very studio a couple of years back and he had this uh, brilliant point about coming home from the World Cup in 1998 where obviously it just exploded into superstardom Mm. and he was saying he remembered his brother looking at him like almost like they were in a sitting room like this or just whatever and just his brother was like looking at him going what have you done what? how are you like globally famous this is unbelievable <laughs> and uh, he talked you know it's kind of a lonely-ish place to be in some ways at 18 you know you're, you're in a different place to your mates and you've got your football friends but not so easy to make friends in the real world then or have nor he was talking about like normal conversations uh, with people and funny he said it's, it's now that he's retired and some of the hype is you know, naturally calmed to touch and he goes to uh, horse racing meetings that he just kind of has conversations where he doesn't feel so much like a commodity. That was a very interesting yeah. uh, point. The issue with fame. I did, who, is it, Bill Simmons has the theory that, you know, it, it, he's normally talking about celebrities rather than sports people. I'd say the same applies that for people who get famous very young in their life, it's very hard for them to stay normal and to have a kind of a normal existence and to be level-headed and you know everything else whereas maybe if if it happens to you in your 30s or something like that you've experienced enough of your life you're not going to change you know what you want in life you know but for so like it's funny like there's a lot of slagging that goes on over Michael Owen over the years but he actually like in fairness he seems like a very level-headed chap considering he was one of the most famous people in his entire country when he was 17 18 years old yeah yeah so, uh, well, he'll be at Vicar Street. We might talk to him about that, amongst uh, other things. Uh, some texts in just on uh, some pieces in the last hour. Lads, we played an interview with Stephen Kenny there, which is available to watch back if you're looking for it. Does not make you at all squeamish, 
when you think that an interview with the Irish football manager focuses on the performances of Rotherham and Preston. It's not that long ago we had the captain of Manchester United's most successful ever team, Liverpool, team full of Irish players and league championship medals, an Arsenal team of Brady, Stapleton, O'Leary. It's a terrible state of affairs. It's hard to know how we've slipped so far as a footballing nation. What do you think? It's a refusal. It's a refusal just to look at the... That's just a refusal to consider the circumstances. We know why those players aren't still at the same yeah. grass because the gra- obviously the net is far wider. You know, it's just... It's just the way it is. There's no point in even... I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. Fair enough. Next. We'll move on. <laughs> I, would, I'd fall I, in, I will entertain it. I'd fall into that way of thinking for the most part that possibly Irish players of a previous generation were afforded opportunities that the current crop aren't. But then I did tweet a goal that Dennis Erwin scored in an under-21 international a few oh, days ago. It's incredible. And it's up there with like, one of the best goals you'll ever see. And like Kevin Kilban's uh, football opinion, I would say, carries slightly more weight than mine. But he was saying best Premier League fullback ever, hands down. And like if you petition that theory to the likes of the, the up-and-coming fan that Dennis Erwin's better than Trent Alexander-Arnold or something, they'd look at you as if you had two heads. But like, there's a very firm argument to be made. You look at his body of work, but also his ability. I think whenever Roy Keane brings him up, and like he names all the top class players that he played with, and throws in Dennis Erwin, it's almost like people who aren't familiar with Erwin would be somewhat dismissive. But um, just top end players. So I think what Arthur's saying is definitely true. But we did have some kind of once in a lifetime players at that time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they weren't once in a lifetime though. That's the thing. Is like maybe like, I think that's a fair point. I definitely feel like we had the fact that we've got so few players playing even in the Premier League level now. Like you know, it's like maybe back in the day we had five players on the Liverpool team that equaled three players, two players on the Manchester United team in the nineties, which would now equal two players playing at any Champions League club. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't think the, 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 the it's has fallen so low that such a vast majority of our players are playing a championship or even League One level. I do think there's a decline there in some ways. And look, ultimately, I think w- I would love for it to, to result in a wider net for Irish football. And we've seen a bit of it in the last couple of years and that maybe England and the level of England isn't the be-all and end-all. But it also comes from like, you know, it's no secret to say that the structures of youth development in Ireland haven't been at the top of the game and one of the one of that has one one of the reasons for that has been the reliance on kids being shipped off to England if they were any good yeah. at a certain age. That's obviously happening less and less, and thank, thankfully so. But we need a re- we need the replacement to be something that is state of the art, top class, world class, uh, not only coaching but development. You know what I mean? And look, there's obviously been strides, um, and we won't have seen the benefits of them yet, but. You know, you can't tell me there isn't a decline in the levels that we're playing at just because the Premier League is Stronger. such a vast array of but nationalities what, and. But what so what so what level would you say is our level? What what are we harking back to? Well, do you th- do you think Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin would get into top four teams at the moment, like regardless of who of the availability of players? Right, split that line for a sec, because I was going to make the point that actually. The big difference now is that you're given chances. So I was going to bring up Niall Quinn, for instance, who goes over to Arsenal and in, by his own admission, in his own book, he's tall, he's rangy, doesn't have a very good first touch, has to work very hard, doesn't go especially well for him at the start at Arsenal. So, but they keep giving him chances and yeah. they're patient and they bring him along and he improves right through his career. 
these days it's just you're a good kid you're not nearly good enough you're not a superstar away you go and maybe you had the better example so Roy Keane could you say he's the best player Ireland has produced in the last 20 years I mean like he goes over what 18, 19 seen by a scout that doesn't happen anymore there's a like, very good chance he wouldn't have made no it there's no chance he makes it today yeah. like imagine that same scout having to go to like literally directly to Brian Clough so again even that just doesn't happen says, there's this kid in Ireland that nobody's picked up he's quite good mm. That doesn't yeah, I don't. And, and, I don't think Roy Keane makes it. I, d- I don't think Roy Keane doesn't make it just out of the sheer tenacity and his ability to doesn't turn get the games upside no, down. But maybe he doesn't end. Doesn't up. get no, the chance. But he didn't get club. signed by Manchester United. He got signed by Forest. He wouldn't That's get signed by anyone near still a Premier League yeah, club. Like. Not in Forest. were a good team then, and like his debuts at Anfield. He doesn't get near Forest in 2022 with the background he had. Yeah. That's what happened. It's brutal. It's because there's, you know, there's there's this. A superstar who's coming over from Africa. There's another from Australia. There's another from the States. You're talking about this Irish kid who's what five foot eight, not that imposing looking. Ah, he's, 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 there's no chance. That's the big difference. I think that players were just given more of a chance in this part of the world, be out of necessity on the club's part, and afforded better quality coaching at fundamental phase in their career where they are growing up physically as well as maturing. Do you think so? No, but as in Roy Keane got coaching at that age that if you don't cut it, quote unquote, in your mid-teens, then you're cast aside. Whereas he went over there at a time when he was still developing. Oh, but he uh, went over there at 18, no? Yeah. No, but like say Jack Byrne who came through the Man City Academy and then at a time when he was ready to start playing professional football, never got a chance. Whereas, as you're saying, other players got chances. So it doesn't matter at the base level talent there's several players with, with that talent, but they don't get multiple chances like others, yeah. others did. I don't know. I, this conversation is not a good one, I think. I'm, I, I'm not squeamish about Stephen Kenny talking about Preston rather than... Oh, no, no, just, no, just no neither am I. I was just picking up on the specific point of, like, I do think that there is... Uh, I do think there's an obvious levelling that we're not going to have as many players. And look, I mean, if you look at, like, say, the USA 94 team, we had players that like Sheffield Wednesday and Le- you know like John Sharon pressure like it's understandable that that level now would be the championship I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have we should have all Premier League players all the yeah. time I'm just wondering if, if, if we kind of dismiss it as ah things were different back then so we don't need to have any world-class players now it's you know no I do like where's uh, like the next Ireland, Ireland always had a world-class player it didn't matter what league they were playing in we've a lot of great goalkeepers we've a lot of great goalkeepers well we've a lot of potentially great goalkeepers hmm. let's be honest about it I think I think Gambazuna in particular is going to be world-class but you can't say he is right now he's just been signed by Sam I'm just joking really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they're world-class right now but uh, no look I, th- I do agree with you it is kind of weird that even through the previous years where we didn't have great systems just it's it's a bit of a lean period in that no Duffers come along no Robbie Keane's come along no Roy Keane's come along just a, a standout freak that was quality in spite of any poor system just because of our tradition of football just, in this, yeah, in this country up. and the fact that we grew up playing played in his yeah. estate every day non-stop got really good yeah. went over uh, was a freak of nature we have had a lean decade would you say yeah that's that's would you one fair up- yeah but like I, mean, I suppose now you have the the shoots of something in the likes of Nathan Collins we can't really yeah. re- forget that either like it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just after breaking that record the transfer record so like it's not you'd love an attacking one though wouldn't you I know I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> our, our best players have been right backs for the last <laughs> no, 10 yeah. years you'd love a Jack Grealish type someone in that area. Uh, yeah so, yeah well. Wes Hoolan honestly I still sometimes think what could have been I just feel something was off there with the world yeah you know? well, he, yeah, he found himself in the cut and thrust of Championship League One football when we clearly see saw during his spell in the Premier League and laterally 
when he got his head at international level, that highly technical player, and that's where he was going to flourish. It's just unfortunate. There are so few slots in those areas, and he had those that typical framework, which is obviously frowned upon at youth level, that he's too small and not physically imposing enough. But yeah. well, he, he clearly showed like that game against Germany sticks out in my head at a time when they obviously passed the ball. He was the one that kept coming and saying, give it to me. But even um, Shelburne Deportivo, no for why didn't they sign him? Why didn't Deportivo sign him? Well, uh, that's like that thing, though. Who, who said that about about Jack? Uh, Jack Wilshire, is it, was it Guardiola talking before? It's like, at Barcelona, I got like a million Jack Wilshires, don't worry about that. Yeah, Valeron going into the dressing room saying, we're not leaving without this guy. Hang on, Deportivo done since. It was Deportivo, he could have slotted in there, no problem. I had a mate grown up who was definitely of the opinion that if he'd been born in Spain, he would have made it. <laughs> now, I think we, I think maybe in his case that's not true, but... In oh, West, sorry, it's in his own opinion that he would have made it himself. He's like, if I was oh, born no, in Spain, <laughs> I'd be in La Liga. Because <laughs> he was very technical and slight, you know, but he's like, I'd be in the league and no problem. Yeah. I bullied off a, like, Leinster City League pitch. Kicked out of Monday, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas I do think if Wes Hulin was born in Spain, it might have been a different story. Totally. Anyway. No, I totally agree. Oh, <laughs> well, John Giles made it. I, I look, well, John Giles is probably another level above, you know. Yeah. Maybe our greatest ever footballer. But Wes uh, did make it, but I think, like, <laughs> I, I think it actually backs up <laughs> your point about the chances, because... Wes Houlihan wasn't was probably not the standard of athlete or size or whatever that, that Premier League clubs were looking for. So he had to go and make it. Was probably the best player at every club he was at. Yeah. And like went to Livingston and then went to, you know, Blackpool, then went to Norwich. Now, became like a living legend at Beloved. Norwich, you know. Beloved went to the Premier League and was good enough for it and was still this great player in the Premier League. But by that stage he's thirty one or thirty two, you know, like it was just there were, <sighs> He was always good enough. It's just this idea that he got better later in his career was just that people weren't recognising it. He did get know? more professional by all accounts. Yeah, but that was. I think that all happened early enough. Early-ish, you know what I mean? Like, but maybe after he went left shells. But I don't know. I still think that Martin O'Neill had a weird blind spot with him. That that just it still really annoys me in oh, retrospect played because. Him. O'Neill played him in home games and stuff, no. and then towards the end. Euro twenty sixteen, the goal against Sweden. Yeah. O'Neill and Keane played him. Trevor Tony didn't know who he was. I, O'Neill didn't play him enough. Okay. I'll stand corrected on that one. But I thought O'Neill recognised this well, guy. He was. I don't know. He certainly seemed to have a role for him. This was, a, this was far too much of a tangent. I think we're going to have to... Well, one, we still need to get a name for this bloody thing. And we're not calling it the Gary Doherty error, which you wanted to... Well, no, a texter suggested it and I got the biggest reaction last week was that a texter decided it was the Gary Doherty error in that. that it fills a space. But I think that, as you said, it's unfair, Joan. It's, it's, it's unseemly. One, it's, of the Irish players, one of the Irish players this century did carve out a, an impressive Premier League career, so due respect to Gary Doherty. Another Norwich legend. No. Well, well, we do need to get a name for this slot ASAP. But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20-minute tangents over a text that none of us agreed with in the first place. <laughs> I'm moving on. Mayo need All-Ireland winners to manage them. So it's a McGuinness, McConville, Paul Galvin type ticket they need. Time for Mayo to go away from home Oof. with their management ticket. It says Hugh in Roscommon. <laughs> 18 minute time limit on this now. That's no, five minutes on this. <laughs> that's, it's, it's untrue, is that, isn't it? Like... Well, I mean, so far it hasn't worked out for them. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you're right, tear it all up. But like, <laughs> come on. Who did, like, what? Did, I don't know. You I mean, know, you're, what, you're of Mayo extraction. Yeah. What would you, who would you like to see in charge? I, I appreciate you are not partisan in this, so you are a professional. Let me just dig out the, Richie had it in his news round here. Because it's a fairly stellar 
list of candidates. So Kevin McStay has the likes of, well, obviously Kevin McStay, Stephen Rochford, Lee McHale, Donny Buckley. Whereas now Ray Dempsey has reportedly lined up Ushin McConville and Paul Galvin to assist him. Oh, I didn't heard of that one. Yeah, like, these are some big names. And the Mike Solon one has Eamon O'Hara on it. Yeah. And some others. Oh, and a, and a, a number more. But Mike Solon's obviously, like, the more I hear about his pedigree, you automatically go to the kind of Kevin McStay mm. headline choice. I just think they've got some very good candidates there. Like, it, it, I don't necessarily need know, know if Mayo need to be stepping outside. They just need to probably have a fresh look at things and yeah. develop who, who's coming through next. Like, you know, I was saying to Nathan last week, like, there's, there's a chance that Mayo are finished. Like, you know, when we're talking about whether, what this great season, <laughs> I, I mean, temporarily, you know, Cut like for, for this team. <laughs> oh, don't actually. <laughs> and just, no, just leave him at there. We're talking about how great it was. Jerry was talking. It was talking about how automatically great next year is going to be, and all the teams with a chance. It's like we don't know that May are able to get back up to that level again. You know what I mean? They've been on such a ridiculous run for so long, but you know, there's an intrigue with Mayo that and there's this sense of they could like it'll be the greatest thing ever you'll ever achieve. You win all early with them, so that's why I think they've been able to attract these potential management teams, you know, which automatically, you feel, puts them back into contention again, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the theory would be, I suppose the theory the texture is is um, throwing out there is that if they had an All-Ireland winner at the helm, that would somehow imbue them with a sense of belief and possibility and like, this is how you do it. I mean, they had John O'Mahony. I was going to say, the manager before James Horan was an All-Ireland winner. God, I don't even remember that era very well. Yeah, they lost to Longford in the first round of the qualifiers in 2010, okay. I think, and then James took over. But it's not a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not a fine error, no. See, the, the, the thing which um, would undercut the point is that there are first-time All-Ireland winners all the time. Yes. By, by just course, necessity. Yeah. But I suppose just even when you watch the Mayo underage team recently lose to Galway in a All-Ireland yeah, final. A lot of Mayo people scratch their heads about I that. I did kind of think to myself, like, there is something... Just in the atmosphere whereby we're rare on not winning finals, like that must be there, you know. I don't know how you break that. I don't. I don't think it's the reason that they haven't got over the line, but I, I do think it is a hindrance to them when it comes Look, to finals because they win so many semis and quarters that they've no right to win. I think partially, if you're looking at it from even say from a everything being back to the same thing, but even from a Limerick point of view, between '73 winning that and winning in 2018, they lost five finals on the trot. Yeah, and. It just kind of I, I with those type of things like I, it's, it seems so reductive to say it, but like it's almost as a problem until it's not. I'm not sure what it seemed like. What happened there seems to be the case that it's like players come along who aren't burdened by it. They win underage and it doesn't really bother them. It's not the same. Yeah, like Claire in 2013, Claire in '95. Like God Almighty, how much baggage do you have to have? Yeah, and there's yeah, a but none in all Ireland finals. Funny enough, they'd lost the they'd lost the two Munster finals previously, and they'd lost like, God only knows how many Munster finals in 63 years. So that was their baggage that they overcame. Galway had lost six All-Ireland Hurling Finals between 1990 and, and 2015 and then obviously won in 2017. And there was nothing about that match that ever said to me, we, we don't know how to win finals. I don't know. I, 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 I just feel like sometimes was, it's just a weird coincidence. You know? There can be a law of averages. Yeah. Now, I think Mayo are pushing that. Well, the two own goals in an All-Ireland final is still remains one of the maddest things yeah, that's ever happened. That would make you believe in the curse. It is weird. Briefly, yeah. I think there is law of averages. And I would say with those Galway hurling teams, would there have been a degree of like, well, sure, we're automatically in a semi-final every year, so it's not, it's not yeah. a fluke. Where, you well, know, most of them were, I suppose, well, yeah, I suppose a good few of them are there. Yeah, but that was a, like, it was a very good team, say, in 1990 that should have won. 
then without going through all of them, yeah. I'm thinking like 93, they were probably just lucky to be there. You know, they were surprise winners against Tippin. So, so it's about half and half, I would say. You know, in 2012, they'd beat Kilkenny in the, in the Leinster final, drew with them in the All-Ireland final, yeah. and then lost in the replay. Yeah. There's definitely a party, and it's, you've got Joe Canning at his absolute prime, and you're thinking, Jesus, will we ever do it? In 2015, they'd beaten Tip in this amazing game and then were beaten, they didn't show up in the final, this yeah. is TJ Reid's final in 2015. So there was definitely a sense at, by 2015 that it was like, Jesus, like, is this ever going to happen? You know what I mean? We've had our chances now. Mm. But then, in 20, then two years later, they come back, they've had this great year where like, they, they won every game, league and championship, and just beat Waterford in the final. And what was a, like, they didn't exactly like, march over the line, but they didn't stumble either. You know, it, was a, it was a good win. Um, so I just I, it, sometimes I, I wonder should that be remembered more if you're Mayo and think like look look sometimes you just go out and you know <laughs> forget the baggage and just say we're better than Waterford on the day or whoever it is. Now they'd be Waterford. Hmm. They'll be they'd be Waterford. Wait, Mayo would beat Ma- Waterford. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. You've definitely taken my <laughs> analogy well there. Yeah, I, it, like it makes sense. Surely it makes sense to have someone in at the top who's. Maybe you know, progressive, well qualified, everything else, but primarily has a fantastic knowledge of the club scene. Yeah. To be serious about it, like if you're bringing in someone else, they're starting from scratch. And I mean, the, in the county the size of Mayo, granted, it has you know, like just to travel around it, it's a bit of a nightmare. And to have a good head start with something like that, hmm. it would just make sense. I right? think so. Yeah. Can I also say one more thing on this? Quickly, yeah. Mayo is a successful county. They're not like this. Isn't the county you need to go in and show people what it's like to win? Just because they haven't won all Ireland's doesn't mean these players aren't going to be amazed by the cult of Jim McGuinness. No. It's a celebrity appointment that isn't going to really do much for them. Mm. They've been well coached, they've been, you know, they've been at the top standard. They've played in all Ireland finals, semi-finals, quarterfinals. You feel like that celebrity kind of appointment is a jolt for a county that have been in the doldrums for yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Like Davy Fitz going into a Waterford, that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I think is that like Davey, yeah, Wexford need needed Davy Fitz. Yeah. You know, they did because they were going nowhere. Because I think the Mayo players will be almost any manager that arrives will be of the opinion we've been doing things really right for a long time so yeah. you know yeah, you're not going to impress us with a hell of a speech that we can be somebody one day I know uh, we've got to take a short break we plan to talk about Ronaldo so let's actually do that in just a moment uh, 53106 the text number we're at off the ball on Twitter uh, get in touch fire us in on text and we'll try and uh, touch on them before now and 9 o'clock back in one sec And you're very welcome back. It's Joe here, Mick and Arthur to my left, Ronan to my right. We are uh, chewing the fat for the eight to nine hour, chatting all things sports. So we still don't have a, a title for what this is, whatever it is. Lads, just call the slot text and the city. Job done. Move on. You're welcome, says Connor in Dublin. I don't know that explains what it is. Which it's like is a 98 FM late night uh, <laughs> slot, isn't it? <laughs> like I need something that conveys that we're Team OTB. <laughs> it's almost like Team OTB Raw. Our production meetings without the swearing or the slander. <laughs> or the arguments. No, I don't mind if there's <laughs> arguments. Do we argue much? No. We keep them inside. <laughs> Let it fester. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to spree someday. No, I don't know. I think we're, I think we're not so bad. Uh, question for the talking dribble hours as a texture. I don't know if in the production meeting this would have got in, but <laughs> seeing as you've taken the trouble to text in, I'll read out your text. What is the best sound in sport? This is like the dude in Father Ted in the elevator where they're like, what's, what's your favourite sound? Is it a humming noise or a... <laughs> so uh, the question from Kev is, what is the best sound in sport? And he gives his top three. Mine. In at number three, 
See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three and then I thought, Do you know on. what? Oh, yeah. I'd actually debate that with you. Because <laughs> I changed the order. Uh, mine, he says, mine, number three, an F1 car. Yeah. See, I heard that and I thought, okay, I'm, I sort of yeah, see yeah. what he's getting at. He's number, sincere. Yeah, yeah, he's thought about it. Number two, the ping of a driver. Yeah, that's right up there. Absolutely. Uh, number one, the crack of a net in Italian football. So I presume he means the stadium sound. Yeah, I think it's the net sound. They must have specific nets Why in Serie A, do they? What's an Italian net? I don't know. The sound of Steve Staunton banging one in against United in 1993 was uh, the greatest sounding goal of all time. It is an interesting... Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but uh, I would... Uh, <laughs> Let's I, make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> I might go for uh, a well-struck iron shot and go the compression of the ball. I might stick that in. That whoosh sound off from oh, the driver. It's a beautiful thing. thing. It's just, yeah. we, oh God. I've never been to Formula One track, but I presume the sound of the cars is so loud. Have you been? Yeah, yeah. I was at the Melbourne Grand Prix there a number of years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, you don't have a clue what's going on at a Grand Prix. It doesn't like, strike me as you're a near, Unless sport. you're near a big screen, like you're just seeing these flashes of, like you're standing beside like a net or a cage or something like yeah. that, you know, and you're just seeing these flashes of colours going through you. And so you don't know where mm. they are on the track, whether they've been, who's fighting who. It's like you haven't a clue. So you just look at a big screen the entire time. It'd be up there for worse spectator sports, would it? Yeah, but at the end, you, there's a good atmosphere and there's a lot of drinking. And then at the end, you kind of can go down onto the grid and stuff like that so like okay. well it depends it, where you are it so it was the one I, I guess on. it has that visceral cars are gone thing yeah. of the noise of the cars yeah. you could, you probably come away going or during it you're thinking this is not fair I can't see anything but you, you kind of come away having experienced something yeah you yeah, can yeah. feel it in your gut almost yeah like I don't know if you're into horse racing as well it's like you know you're, you're the live experience isn't really right. the watching because yeah. you're not really, you're only able to see a small portion of the track you can, and it's hard to take in where everybody is. So again, you watch the big screen the entire time. Yeah. Not like when you go to a match, yeah. you're, you're, it's there in front of you, you know. So that was my experience with Formula One. It's like if I wanted to, if I, while I cared about what was happening, I was watching a TV screen in the outdoors near the track, yeah. you know. I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. <laughs> I was going to say something what? to snooker. What is that? Oh my God. As in like, like saying one. Eight, nine. Up the score. There's something about that 16. that I love. I love the repetition of it. I love the predictability of it. Very soothing. It's it's fantastic. The same thing with the balls and everything going in and everything. But just there's something about that. Do you know what I love in snooker? The crowd. You know when there's like there's you know there's a shot like that you don't. It, it's the but they all have the the uh, the earphones in. And there's the commentary. commentary. And then when they laugh. When they laugh. Yeah, I but, love but, that but so no, but much. the sound that I love particularly is if there's a real shot or it's like it's it's a tough one, but it's gonna it's like uh, capture the frame. Yeah, and it's like he'll try something outrageous. And the ball is only halfway to the pocket, but the commentator immediately knows it's going in. Mm. And then there's a, a uprise of the of the crowd before the ball pops into the pocket. You know, it's yeah. a very specific thing, but it did come into my head. When yeah. uh, it's I, not as weird as Arthur's one though. Yeah, because what if the referee doesn't have a nice voice? You know what I mean? Like it, it varies from referee <laughs> to referee. There's one in my mind. I don't know his name, but I, I have him in mind. I do. I think there is something lovely about the snooker crowd when they're all listening to the BBC commentary. The laugh. And one of the lads crack a joke, <laughs> and they all start giggling. Yeah, that must be. That's a lovely little thing to be a part of. Or when the applause comes from when the when the divide is still down. Someone makes a shot in the other yeah. table, and you hear the applause. And they all clap as well when they've done the maths, and they know that like. This this yellow seat, you know, seals the frame with lots of balls on the on the table. I always think that's quite a nice My life thing. in this question. I, for a, a question that was absolutely destroyed, he's uh, actually text back in there, Kev. Sorry, Kev. An uninteresting question. Yet I got seven minutes of your time, ha. Kev. 
all is forgiven. <laughs> I thought that conversation there for the last seven minutes was better than the previous 20, I would say. Although you were really going for being down on the slot, were you? I don't know. I just think, uh, I think you're very negative on, uh, on everything. We're I, w- saying, I wasn't sure about the first 20 minutes. I didn't feel it was our best stuff. Maybe not. Maybe not. Do, we weren't interrupting each other enough, I felt. Well, listen, just a slight tangent on, on that. <laughs> for the, a change. Uh, here we go. <laughs> the... Uh, the most anticipatory moment, as I've described to Arthur before, is... <laughs> yeah, this is great. Do you know in boxing when... So there's about, for no, for no apparent reason, there's about 87 people in the ring before the fight starts. Can I just ask for a second, just a brief interruption? Because Arthur genuinely went there, this is great. How did this come up between you two, or why Can't are you talking about this? I'm always trying to sell the, the sport of boxing to Arthur in general. He's <laughs> a, a like, ardent historian of the sport and has definitely read the books that I've recommended him to read and stuff. But uh, just a little minutiae of it, which I love and I'm a nerd about, yeah. but I think he appreciated, is the, um, so yeah, there's the, the ring is thronged with people, and then all of a sudden, it's the two combatants and the referee, and that's it. And like, some of the greatest snapshots in through the annals of the sport, like the best photographs ever taken are often just the two fighters and the referee. And you, it's almost as stripped back as it's ever going to be, and like quickly the fight's underway and you're getting lost in the, the detail of that. But I think... There's very little, that like 15 second period when the ring has been emptied and just before the bell, there's a hum and a din in the arena that is just, I've never felt anything like it. And the only other thing, as we were chatting about the other day, the parades in the All-Ireland Finals, which are unique to this country in many ways, uh, have that similar vibe, I would say. Like that sense of anticipation when the... Like the parades seem a bit naff in theory. You could describe it to somebody like, oh, the players literally walk around the field before it begins, but... Um, when you're there and experiencing it, it's, uh, I think it's I'll up there. never forget the noise at the, the 2018 hurling final. Arthur, me and you were sitting close to each other, and that um, I was down near the pitch, and it was Limerick and Galway, and it was that freshness of a game as well. And that like Limerick hadn't been there in so long. Galway, you know, were playing, and I, I'll never forget the noise of that think, parade. Um, it was unbelievable. Not to bring everything back to commentary teams for a second, but I do think the parade thing is a tricky one for commentators. I don't like when there's like a forced. And scripted monologue. No, if I. You're, th- if you're watching in Cancun, oh, and you know we're thinking of you. <laughs> and, like, no, I'm, I'm talking more. <laughs> it's, an, it's, an, it's an in-stadium thing because the way the noise cascades as the the players reach a certain yeah. juncture of the of the. Oh, in the stadium, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing, just remarkable. No, so. it's pretty. It's a great thing. Actually, we don't we don't do pageantry that well in our sports, but we do the parade well. No, because like the only other thing, make probably the Super Bowl where they have the national anthem and everyone's out in the field, but like that sort of. Yeah. That's a bit performative, whereas the, the All-Ireland Final thing, I know the players are made to do it. I think um, sports scientists and psychologists probably think it's probably not the best thing to be going around looking at all your family members just before <laughs> you uh, play the biggest match of your life, but it adds so much to the occasion. Yeah. Okay, I think we're done with sounds, are we? <laughs> that shows we can talk about anything. Uh, what three Irish sports people currently no. active or retired would you invite to a dinner party, James in Dublin? James, I'm going to save that for next week. I was going to say. Just on the basis of how we've done. Somebody says Jim Gavin for Mayo. Well, he'd have no interest. I presume Jim's done now, is he? Yeah. Oh, I can't see Jim coming back. What would you come back for? Unless he came back to rescue Dublin. Dublin? Within a point of All-Ireland final. (laughs) (laughs) I never got the impression that Jim Gavin was in the job to be a... Gaelic football manager. Career manager. I think he was the Dublin manager. You know, Not Rory Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah. As we never actually talked, touched on Ronaldo, which was like the one thing we said we would um, touch on. I guess that's kind of uh, good that we can get yeah, out of Nobody time. wants him. Nobody yeah. wants to talk about so him. So what is the point we want to make about Ronaldo? Ten Hag has come out publicly to say he's very unhappy that Ronaldo left the Rayo Vallecano game before it was over. Now, he wasn't the only player 
Diogo Dallo left as well. Say so Diogo Dallo follows what Ronaldo does. You think so? I'm going to guess. I'm going to yeah. have a little guess at that. Literally. Like, yeah. yeah. So is, is the point here what, what this tells us about Ronaldo or is this about how Ten Hag is handling it? What aspects are of interest here? I think it's naturally interesting the way Ten Hag's handling it. Um, insofar as he just he doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be exercising him too much but as much as you'd want he seems to be doing quite a good job of just diffusing it sort of and just it's unacceptable mm. I presumably will deal with it and whatever else but I don't you know it's very like I'm sure kind of there's a certain degree of anyone feeling the same way on this but like it's just he's finished he's no longer relevant nobody with anyone of any no smart like Bayern Munich said as much yeah Oh, great player, great everything else, but he's not the kind of player we'd buy. What does that tell you? It's like nobody with any sense would go near him. Yeah. My United last season with no sense went near him. Yeah. And I think actually you'd be less inclined to go near him now because it's obvious he still has notions. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And, and of course, I mean, I think Cristiano Ronaldo, of pretty much all players in the world, is allowed to have notions. It's a very natural thing, but it does make it more of a problem as you try and ease him into the end of his career now. And he's just made a series of poor decisions now from leaving since leaving Madrid. Yeah, but you made a good point. Like he's been market corrected a little bit by the reality of the last few weeks, where it's set in and dropped the bombshell just before preseason started that I'm not coming back. I'm not reporting, as if to say, Man United are at uh, gunpoint here, and I'm going to make them squirm. But as it turned out, himself and George Mendes canvassed every club of note in Europe, and they all said no. So it's a bit of a reckoning for him that he's not as coveted as he once was, and the whole trying to, I don't know, insulate his Champions League record by going to Sporting Lisbon or something and, and scoring a couple of penalties. Like, does that really... Would he not be remembered more fondly for hanging around at Man United, knuckling down and, like, getting them back into the Champions League or something? I don't know. Like, he's um, fairly stats-obsessed, as we've come to learn anyway. Mm. My take on it is just that, is the, uh, the intrigue for me is what's going on in Ronaldo's head. What's it like when you are the self-proclaimed king and are actually able to back it up for nearly 20 years of your life where you're one of the best, if not the best footballer in the world and you get to this point, you haven't realised that that's not the case anymore. You scored 24 goals last season mm. to back up your belief in yourself regardless of what the wider analysis might tell you. Uh, you go into the summer thinking what might, what United aren't... aren't um, haven't achieved is not good enough for me I need better Yeah. and you discover that there isn't a better world out there that even Manchester United if they had their way probably wouldn't even want you at the moment it do you know it must I just don't understand how psychologically you could come to terms with that it does though illustrate that Ten Hag really needs to get rid of this guy because one of his uh, toxic. big I suppose um, selling points this summer is that I'm the disciplinarian and here you have like players leaving before a game's over I like yeah. it. Like they know it's wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. It's really not a done thing in football. It's one of these frowned upon things. And Ronaldo's perfectly at ease with himself to just completely undermine your authority. I mean, good luck trying to get control of that dressing room if Ronaldo's hanging around. I don't think a, it'll be an issue if they're doing reasonably well on the pitch. But also, I don't think it's going to be as much an issue because I suppose we can practically speaking, he's not going to be playing. So I don't know what that's, that does. That's a nightmare. Well, it does, but like, how? Like, I don't know. Like, will he? What will he do? Just dedicate himself to upsetting things? Probably. And even Jonathan Wilson the other evening was telling us that, like, he was actively all season trying to get the captaincy from Maguire. This guy whose form has plummeted, who's been booed by his own national fans, and all Ronaldo can think is, "I want the armband from him." Like he's a bad lad. 
<laughs> like <laughs> nobody, but nobody's. I, no, I don't think he is a bad lad, but I just I think, think he's a bad lad. Do you? I think he. It's it's been. It's all about him. It's just been downhill since he came back. Yeah, he's just a, he's toxic around the place. They will then just they have to get rid of him. Yeah, I'd like, but as, as Mick's saying, I think if they could, they would. He'd be gone. Does anyone think they should keep him? Do you? No, but it's just how they can manoeuvre it. Um, you look at the Barcelona parallel, which isn't a direct one, but Memphis Depay, which is another kind of signing that didn't work out at that club, but they're in negotiations to just cancel his contract and, and let him go. And yeah. th- th- that'd be a shortfall for them, but they're basically taking a short-term hit for the long-term success of what Xavi's trying to do. And I think that's what United should do. But sorry, Ronaldo wants to leave. Yeah. This is like the United want a transfer fee for him, and I'm thinking, oh, just it's not, get rid of it. They pay him 30 million going around that like Team Viewer and these like don't want you know, Ronaldo off the books because United you know, don't have enough drawing power without him, you know, and I see kids going around all the time. Like, I haven't seen Manchester United jerseys all that much. And I talk to, you know, friends of mine who are, like, parents of kids who are, you know, five to ten. Manchester United aren't a thing anymore with kids, but there's been a lot of Ronaldo jerseys around the place over the last year or two, you know. So these things matter business-wise, and ultimately, that's where I feel sorry for Ten Hag. He has no say in these things. Team viewer aren't a thing with kids either. <laughs> <laughs> But We've got to get the kids around the world. Then <laughs> team viewer. Ah <laughs> uh, dear, uh, Shane says the last ten seconds of Aaron Naveen and All Ireland final when everyone starts shouting goosebumps. Yeah, I'm not. I never loved that. Even as a kid, I didn't like the shouting at the end of Aaron Naveen. I think they've stopped. They've, uh, I, I don't know it's a new thing. Do they know, call for that to be sung to us entirely now. Just hold they? your horses. I yeah. always thought it was a bit of name. I think it's a bit per clutch and to be worried about it. There's a tradition like five year old me was looking around I saying know. it's not finished. Well I don't mind if there's there's certain <laughs> people that do sing it to the end and do so diligently while everybody else is losing it around that. I think the the little announcement at the end, could you all have a bit of respect for that Would you ever flick off? But hang on though, it's not the world's catchiest anthem, am I correct? <laughs> Am it's I correct? one of the worst national anthems in the world. Right, have to okay. be honest, as, yeah. as important as it is, yeah. let's clip that. <laughs> oh, it's a terrible but air to it. Like, it yeah, yeah, but one of the few good parts. I don't yeah. know, I'm not. I mean, this is not a. Dun, 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 it's the end. It's yeah. the crescendo where everyone gets to scream the final line. Yeah, and we sh- we we don't even respect. We just shout over that bit. Respect, <laughs> respect the anthem. But you really want Kerry to come on. <laughs> yeah, but you not think like that? That actually, we could turn that last line into a bit of oomph. Yeah, possibly. Instead of just ignoring it and shouting over it. But it's it's the crescendo of the anticipation of the match. The match is about to start. These that like dun, 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 is the signal that we're about to throw in the ball yeah. for the biggest match. And it, it's like it's in a, you to just like no, kind of like there's always rah. a race. There's a race for people to break it. I know there first. is a bit of that. All right, there yeah. is definitely. <laughs> I just I, look. I have no. I I personally I want to be do first try to sing to towards the end. It's just a natural weird respect for the added that I don't know what's, what it's based in but I also just I, I'm just not worried about people giving out about it either I, I, oh, I, know, I, I definitely am more I definitely have a bigger problem with the pearl clutchers sorry yeah I, d- I don't want to be the guy in this slot who's giving away about this, this not a, <laughs> that's not what this is this is a more conversational tone uh, to this slot uh, somebody says I suggest we call the uh, slot Joe and his interesting associates hour I'm not sure that quite <laughs> 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 Handsome Homer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Most annoying sound in sport. Come on, Tim at Wimbledon. Dermot from Ennis. Well, I think it's a Come on, what about idiots shouting mashed potato or trying to be funny after a drive in golf? There's, and you know, I, I, not to bring it back to Aaron Levine, there is like a race to be in first and mm. they're kind of doing it too early with yeah. the, and the golfers obviously not impressed. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. The mashed potato thing, it's only when 
you watch the open and it's not really there that you realise how annoying it is. <laughs> Do you know that kind of a way? You're yeah. just so used to it. And then actually you think how lovely it is in this part of the world that we haven't got into that. I do like it's in the hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are we pretty much out of time? Oh, we're way over time there. John. Sorry, are we? Okay, I've gone late there. Apologies. Uh, Ronan Mullen, thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Mate McCarthy, thank you. Thanks. And Arthur O'Dee, thank you very much. Pleasure. We will be back next week with uh, more from Team OTB. Uh, I'm putting a deadline end of August we have to have a name for this slot <laughs> so we'll be back next week for more we'll call it Wednesday at Rugby <laughs> yeah you know my opinion is only one opinion in, in, in the world of GA then I, I thought I was entitled to give my opinion everyone else was giving their opinions as usual people get upset by it people have an opinion and they're entitled to it where's the evidence that you would have factioned well, it's just my opinion but like I said there's no but evidence is there any evidence for it people have different opinions different stuff that's no problem that's the way life is everyone's the same it's boring you know yeah well you know that's just like uh, your opinion man <laughs>